Hi, I'm Marnie, and welcome to Dwelling. Speaking about housing, home, and property, it often feels personal or private, but housing is something that's becoming increasingly isolating, living in boxes separate from the rest of society. But it doesn't need to be that way. So over the final two episodes of this series, we're going to be exploring the ways in which groups of strangers create home together through communal living. And in this episode, we're taking a step back in time to an age of hippies, rock and roll, and what life was like in the largest commune in England, to an island in the Thames with magic mud. When you think of home, what do you think of? Um, home. Never been asked that before. Home. Um, I suppose somewhere, for me, somewhere I feel I, I belong and I'm not out of place in. And, uh, yeah, um, a, a comfortable and safe. Um, and, yeah. Hello. Hi. Hi, is your interview person? I'm the, I'm the interviewed, interviewee. Yes, I know. How nice to see you again. Yeah, it's always cold when I see you. It was cold when we saw each other. I must up. bring it with me. Yes. I'm in Twickenham, specifically in Eel Pie Island Museum. It's a series of small rooms stuffed with music memorabilia, information on boatyards, and most interestingly to me, a series of pictures of young people with long flowing hair lounging on a riverbank outside the rickety 19th century hotel. I am a firm believer that in order to understand what's happening now, you need to look back in time. Eelpie Island was an inescapable research hole. As I peeled back each layer of its history, another fascination unveiled itself. The Rolling Stones once played every Wednesday. It was once a site for artists, affairs, a site of hedonism and escape. Rumoured to be used by Henry VIII to spend time with his mistresses, it got its name from the pies made from the eels that live in the surrounding muddy banks. The hotel was built in Victorian splendour, with holidaymakers rowing away from London to escape the hustle and bustle of the city. Residents started to move in, and I wanted to know, what was this tiny island like before the madness began. So on a chilly grey day, Delilah and I cycled along the banks of the river to Eelpie Island Museum to speak to Robin. Well, my name's Robin Hunter. I was brought up in Twickenham, but uh, unfortunately we had to move when I was about three years old and we had to get up quickly and find somewhere cheap to live. At the time, the cheapest place to live in Twickenham wasn't on the Alpine Island. Because the buildings that were on there were basically summer chalets, never built to live in the whole year round. The rumour was that they'd been built um, for the mistresses of some of the local businessmen. And, um, you know, it was sort of nicely separated off, no bridge, had to take a boat across to it. Ilpai is in part interesting because of the way it's positioned, this tiny island in the Thames. The fact that it was once only accessible by boat and is now only reachable by a footbridge just wide enough for two people to pass allowed several experiments to take place there. 
Cut out from modern society, what was possible? When you take away the outside world, what does home look like? It was... It was a great place in many ways. It was not a great place in other ways as well because um, the you, you really were... Uh, you had to be aware of the tides the whole time because at high tide, um, certainly in the spring and the autumn, um, the island would flood every high tide for the Thames flood barrier. Um, so you had to at least know to have a pair of welly boots. Um, and the, the chain ferry, uh, which connected the island with the mainland, couldn't run at high tide or low tide. So you had to either wait or get in your dinghy and row across. Mm. But then on the other hand, it was um, completely safe as long as you didn't fall in the water. So as a young child, I could sort of just wander around. Gates were not usually closed. Other side of that is, though, of course, it's a very isolated place, so no mates could ever come back, uh, or very, you know, quite difficult. You have to look at the side table. I think it had a... Well, I know it had an effect on, on, on my family and on, on me growing up in, in a, a little world. Um, and it was, it was very much a contained little world, Probably a, a more narrow cross-section of society, people who were happy in that sort of situation, basically people who wanted to be on their own. And so there were some characters, and, um, yeah, it was, um, which was interesting. There was a, a guy who had the, um, the piece of land opposite us, and, I mean, he was... Well, to me, at the time, he looked like a, a, a fairground clown. He sort of had hair sticking out under a hat and um, clothes that not only were not fashionable but were sort of a bit bizarre, which was quite amusing um, to a young child. And, um, yeah, it sort of added to the, uh, the colour of the island. By the time you left, was the jazz club up and the jazz club the the jazz club was the the rock part of it if you like um the rock nights hadn't uh, hadn't started blues nights i suppose originally yeah i mean certainly i remember seeing jazz musicians and uh followers sort of coming over on the ferry and and um and on the bridge obviously it was uh, there were larger numbers of them as the popularity of the jazz club increased the magic mud shifted to welcome in a new era. The jazz morphed into rock and roll, providing a platform for the Rolling Stones, The Who and Pink Floyd. It also started to provide a home for a group of young people that society were leaving behind. Or maybe young people that wanted to leave society behind. Not all the rest of the residents were totally happy about it <laughs> because um, for the 1950s, um, a sort of long hair and... Um, uh, sort of slightly bohemian, well, they're very much bohemian, um, clothing and um, uh, lifestyle was uh, yeah, not, not to be seen everywhere and some people didn't like it. Any Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday evening, winter and summer, they come in ones and twos, then in droves, some from near at hand, for others a pilgrimage of incredible miles crossing the water to the island, paying a toll of fourpence to the keeper of the bridge, along the track through the trees. A rubber stamp for a ticket in the ante-room of paradise. 
Is it hell? Depends who you are, how you look at things. Yes, yes, that's Marnie. Hi. I when looking I... for information about eel pie, you come across a website, Eel Pie Dharma, a journal full of poetry by a guy called Canadian Chris. As his name suggests, he's Canadian and has since moved back. He doesn't have a computer, so we speak over the phone. He's funny and unafraid of colourful language and graphic descriptions. And that was just, you know, 19, 20 years old as an activist against the draft and against the Vietnam War. So I was obviously obviously surveilled. There, there weren't really many hippies in, in Miami. I would have been one of the first people to grow their hair long. But I was, I was more of a political, really, and, and, and an activist and, you know, had initially had short hair and, and was middle class or lower middle class. And, and and then I wanted I wanted to I sort of wanted to be a hippie, <laughs> and then and then the funny thing you know the irony that, that I ended up being almost like super hippie like the biggest commune and my hair just about down to my waist and it, it's funny and and uh, then I got three draft notices in a week in early June 1969. He, my dad thought it, thought it'd be a really good idea go stay with your cousin Nick. And they were they were just awful people, <laughs> and and I I went to stay with them, and and then they kept sort of pushing me out the door, and you know which I was, was good, you know fine by me. Let's I went to the, I I wanted to be a poet, and I was already publishing haiku poetry and stuff, and 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 my cousin and his wife literally threw me out in the street of Kingston on Thames, and so I ended up sleeping on the China Tea Steam Navigation. Uh, just this sort of semi-derelict boat, like it didn't have a motor or anything, and it was just moored on the other side of the river, uh, across on the Thames at Richmond, and and just a whole bunch of us would would sleep there every night. I I went to the Richmond paper because uh, the some of the courses I took I took I think three courses in journalism, and I was a, an English major, so and a writer, and always wanted to be a writer and whatever. And I thought, well, maybe I could. Uh, be a reporter for the Richmond paper. And I went in and there was a young guy uh, that was, was sort of positive And he said, oh, you know, and you know, I, but my hair was starting to grow. I was starting to look more like a hippie. He said, oh, there's a, a, a commune or something started on Yopai Island. That can be your first assignment. Why don't you go investigate and write a story on it? Got the got the twick on him and went over the little arched footbridge to to the hotel and and it just looked so funky and countercultural and there's just quilts and and Cliff Cliff was a cartoonist and uh, an illustrator or whatever and there's Cliff's easel and magazines spread all over the place and you know incense burning it was just just funky I thought God what a cool thing 
and and started to sort of interview them and then i said you know i and they said you know sort of what what are, what was i all about and i said well i'm i'm really a poet i'm not really a reporter and they said would you like a room you know we we need more art, artists and that was that was the, that was part of why i lived at, at Eopi. it was the only place i could afford to live and and have freedom so how old were you out of interest when you joined Eel Pie? I was 23. This is Weed. And what was uh, life like for you at that time? I was without an address. I was wandering around, living as best I could. And I was enjoying myself, basically. And uh, well, I'm not saying enjoying myself would be the right word, but uh, I was fully engaged with life, should we say. I was taking lots of drugs and very involved with the drug culture and enjoying it immensely in that sense hand-to-mouth in communities before and in groups before and so when I heard about eel pie then it, it immediately was sort of a place that I wanted you now I was interested in because it, uh, it at that age people seem very attuned to what is where the energy is where the action is even more so when you're 13 14 15 but even up to the age of sort of 20 25 you're still sort of aware of the of the buzz of the energy of what what's happening what's exciting and as soon as I heard about it that I was immediately aware that this was something that was worth investigating. The commune was started by Cliff Harper, an idealist, anarchic cartoonist. He wanted it to be a place where artists could come together and create, free from the constraints of rent and normal society. It was a form of squatting. The hotel was empty, so they moved in. And and he had, he had envisioned the hotel being a you know this sort of hub of artists and revolutionaries and Cliff was a bit of an anarchist and a cartoonist and uh, he, he thought it would be a, a political center. It, it was a, a real time of politics were just uh, it, there, there was just this real youth sort of worldwide youth movement that to some degree Yopi became a very anarchic center of. But it never, <laughs> a lot of the people were just runaways. But it was a very mixed community, because I say people were being just sent there who got nowhere to live, as well as also just lots of local people who needed somewhere to live, or people who were attracted by the lifestyle or by the idealism of it. Originally, it started as an idealistic commune by the first two or three people. And I think that probably lasted probably a couple of days before it was overwhelmed by all the different people with their different ideas and ideologies coming in. But it's all loosely bound with what might now be called sort of a hippie mentality. Did it feel like you were making some sort of statement or a feeling of revolution within the commune? Yes. Yes, I think so. Uh, I'm talking here for probably most of the people, I think. Most people there were aware that it was different and that it was special because it was so different. Though at the time we weren't, I don't think we were really aware that it was, inverted commas, the biggest commune in England or, or whatever. This wasn't something, it wasn't, a, it wasn't trying to be anything. It, it evolved very organically, completely organically. There was uh, no restrictions uh, 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 other than on the spur of the moment restrictions, there were, there were there were no sort of rules laid down by anyone because who was going to lay the rules down? How are they going to be enforced? And that was again very much uh, part of uh, 
down to Cliff Harper and the original three people, three or four people who actually first entered the building and from right from the start, they gave it a basis which allowed it to evolve as it was, even though it probably wasn't the way they expected it to go. If the commune is sounding chaotic, that's because it was. There were no rules. People could turn up and leave as they pleased. And numbers varied from eight to 100. And we would go out and get that temporary manpower jobs. And and some of them would only last a day. And you'd make like two and a half pounds or three pounds. But that would be almost enough to get food for a week. Because in the hotel, we didn't have to pay rent whatever so it was very very cheap living uh at, at Ilpai, a lot people just stay up all night smoking dope and dropping acid and playing music and some people someone had a, a couple people probably had portable uh record players and things and whatever just stay up all night and have sex <laughs> whatever and then uh, sleep in until like three or four in the afternoon and then a whole bunch of us would troop over to the Linton Cafe, just the other side of the footbridge, and uh, and, and have our meal of the day. And you could get uh, two eggs. I don't know, probably I'm not sure if we got bacon. Like two eggs and 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 toast. Yeah, probably bacon. Oh, beans and and beans, because beans are just really uh, a lot of carbs and toast and a cup of tea. And and that was really we would have like one meal a day. Well. It's very difficult to say because everyone there had their own view of it. So all I can do is give mine, but I wouldn't like it to think it was generalised to what other people, uh, what other people's days were, were like. I mean, some people worked, not many. Uh, some people had money from various places and a lot of people didn't have any money. A general day was pretty lazy, I'd say, in terms of uh, people doing things. There was a lot of hanging about, there was a lot of guitar playing, there was a lot of conversations. Uh, there was a lot of smoking dope. Uh, there wasn't a lot of other drugs there. Other drugs did come into it. It was mainly centered around cannabis. And there was, I think, a lot of exploration of people. People, just, I mean, that age, I'd say the average age was probably 18 to 23, 24. And like most of organizations at that time, anyway, I'd say it was probably two to one ratio of male to female. But there was just a lot of conversation interactions at a personal level. Uh, and I think people were just exploring the concepts of uh, being an environment, which was unexpectedly strange, but unexpectedly convenient for the way of life they wanted to live, which was no hassles from other people telling them what to do or how to behave. So there's a lot more freedom given to people as to how they could be, which of course is good and bad, depending how much it interferes with the people. Did you get that sense of home and identity from each other or from the place? Well, the place was so unusual. There was a, definitely a culture which everyone there ascribed to, I think, or 99% of people they ascribed to. It sounds silly, but in 1966 even, if you had hair which didn't, which, or even 65, for most people, if your hair touched your ears, people would look at you as if you were somewhere strange. So people wandering around with long hair, there was an immediate affinity. And there was that, there was, so there was a definite feeling of belongingness in terms of the people, but it wasn't just the people there. It was also a great community. And there was also an identification with the place after a few months because we realised what an amazing place it was. So for me, it was a, a, an experience that I liked because it, I, at the time I was very much into the idea of experimental living and seeing what happened. Not so much because I thought it was a good thing to do, 
but because there's so many constraints, I was brought up in the 50s where things were very different, where there was a much more, well, where I was brought up, there was a, a, a much more, much greater pressing from society as to how one should be. And one was a, a much more sort of, a, uh, one was afraid of what the neighbours would think, basically, all that sort of thing. I was not into necessarily breaking rules for the sake of it, and yet at the level I certainly was into breaking rules if I thought they were unnecessary, just to see what would happen often. Thinking about the society that we'd just described, somewhere that wouldn't hire you if your hair went past your ears, a culture of rigid conformity, wouldn't there be a little part of you that was tempted to just drop out? I'm not saying that because 50 people spent six months getting stoned on an island, we're free to have long hair and get septum piercings today. But what I am saying is that it was part of a wider movement of freedom of expression, one that actually I think is crucial to feeling comfortable in wider society. Being able to find belonging and spaces where you can find a culture or a movement that suits you. Eel pie also paved the way for other movements. It fed into the possibility of communes and communal living. And as with any movement, you need a place to go. You need a place to call home. One of, one of the things I really remember, and maybe it was kind of the beginning of the end, but it was just so nice, was we had this great big Christmas dinner in, in the uh, Christmas of 1969. And one of the women, I think it was Anthea, I think she was pregnant, and she went out and stole a turkey and put it under her her dress because I think she's already partially showing. And then, you know, no, I guess no one dared challenge her. And, and somehow she got it cooked and, and we all sat on the floor. There must have been 30 of us, 35 of us, and just sat around and ate ate turkey and got past joints and and it was it was just really nice it was just the, the communal feeling of here we are and we're we're all together and we're all in this one big big room in the hotel and instead of just all of us going our own ways and whatever it was a, it was a nice a nice christmas dinner and i'm talking about the time when there were probably between 20 and 40 well 30 and 40 people there which in a way was the era which most people like to remember it as, as it expanded over the following year, especially after some of the festivals, which brought a lot of people back into it. There, it rose, numbers rose to 100. And then it broke up, it, it tended to break up into groups. There were newcomers who weren't always uh, welcome, shall we say, and there were people scattered about in various parts of it. And it, when it gets to 100, then you get lots of divisions and you, it's very hard to sort of you don't maintain that community feeling if it happens too fast and this was happening over a period of days and weeks and months suddenly the numbers rising and after that it, it just deteriorated and uh, i don't know if it deteriorated is even the right word just into a, a, a just great big dos dosing house or whatever just crazy you know people just everywhere and you there was i have to be honest because it's easy to gloss over things and just follow a path. I think there was a lot of alienation there, partly because a lot of people were turning up there had no idea what they were doing. There were people that were mentally disturbed. There was not a lot of diversity. There was a certain, certain amount of racial diversity, a certain amount of uh, national people from different countries there. there were, because it was a crash pad, I think, from a bit, there were people from a lot of different countries there bringing their own ideas, their own experiences. And some of those are very valuable because some of them have been traveling a lot and done a lot, seen a lot of things. So that added to the maturity of it. But there were also people just turning up there who were 
quite young, quite disturbed sometimes. Uh, and people who were there who were quite affected by it and one or two of them found it difficult to cope and went further into the trip than probably they should have done or you know it ended up sort of uh, having to be taken away or calmed down or whatever uh, and there were a lot of people there sort of as it got as it continued there were people there around the fringes who were under uh, who were just feeling probably a bit isolated but again it was probably less so than if there were somewhere else outside in an earlier interview i once i was asked if it was misogynistic and I said yes, but I should have qualified it saying it's far less so than the outside world. So yes, all the prejudices that were in society were also within the group, but they were far less so because people were actually aware they were trying to break down those barriers and those uh, the, the, those restrictions. The whole idea. A lot of conversations around housing and home centre around this question of deserving, whether or not people on benefits or unemployed or addicted deserve to be housed. I want to stress that Eel Pie was a real melting pot of people who just needed somewhere to stay. So some people had jobs, but lots didn't. And I think lots of people didn't fit into this category of what might be seen as deserving to be housed. And I think maybe that history looks back on Eel Pie and questions whether or not they deserve to have this place to get high and listen to music and explore a radical new style of living. Whether or not they deserved the kind of freedom they had, the kind of community. But I think that framing is all wrong. When there are empty houses, empty spaces, or empty rock and roll hotels, when there are people excluded from society and housing by structures or fashion choices or whatever, the focus on an individual and whether or not they deserve home seems crazy to me. Especially because a conventional home isn't right for everyone at every stage in their life. And sometimes home can just be freedom. Oh yes, one positive moment. Have you got time for it? Mm, yeah, absolutely. So the, the gardens in front of the hotel went straight on. They went straight onto the river, and there was people just dive off the edge of the end of the grass railings were, and just dive into and swim about in the river, which at the time was not the best thing to do because the Thames wasn't very clean. Uh, but we were fairly high up, so it wasn't too bad. And uh, one day I did. I went. It was hot, very hot day. It was hot summer that year, so I went for a swim. And I came out, and at the time I was sort of my clothing was sort of probably a, ter- a pair of torn jeans and a t-shirt. And I looked round, and uh, I couldn't see my t-shirt or my jeans. And I couldn't see them anywhere. I thought, hmm. And then it hit me. This was the first time in my life, ever that I'd been without anything at all, any possessions of any sort. Because at that time I, I, was, I hadn't got a play, I hadn't got a particular room then, because I, I, I wasn't living with my partner and I was just, and I hadn't got any money, that's what money I, I might have had would have been in the jeans, and I hadn't got anything at all. I'd never been in this position in my life before. And it's quite an interesting feeling, just thinking I've got, I've got absolutely nothing. And then someone standing next to me handed me a joint, and it was just downhill from there. <laughs> it was just such a an unusual uh, aggregation of, of, of facilities. You know, you could, uh, I think the Friday night and Saturday night, there would be bands. So there'd be all these people coming over uh, to the island and, and hanging out. And 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 then there were the, the people that were there strictly from necessity 
like myself, I literally had nowhere to go. <laughs> and, and so it was just it was it was just a place where I could sleep and and have some friends. And uh, but if if it hadn't been this just confluence of this old abandoned hotel that we could live in it was part of it was just that we could live in it and and a lot of the people really weren't political it's hard to remember believe you know it's just 25 years after the end of world war ii so there was still sort of poverty or still uh society was still sort of shaken up and the commune evolved or devolved or however you want to look. It took its own shape and, and nothing without the the physical structure of the hotel and the sort of the magic of the island and, and then the history of the Yopai ballroom and the traditional jazz and, and then the early rock and, you know, rock and roll and and then the Rolling Stones playing there. And just, it was just this, at the hotel or on the island, it, it was just this, gathering of, of so many different influences I, I i don't know of any other commune or anything that it, it was so freeform and and yet it was so central to 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 the uk i mean there it was on you know the western edge of uh london england you know like one of the one of the great cities of the world you know one of the world capitals and there's there's this huge hippie commune and yet it's all sort of dreamy and <laughs> mystical and and whatever and, and yet impoverished. It was just going so many ways at the same time. Something equivalent is inevitable. Looking back at the time, and it's very hard to tell without being objective doing an academic survey it seemed like there are far fewer restrictions on people in terms of laws it's a re it's almost like a reaction when a society goes a certain way then things will happen which react to it whether there'll be something that's quite as convenient in terms of being close to london on an island with a derelict hotel is another matter it it sounds like the same problems exist there now that, that existed you know 50 years ago with the homelessness and, and lack of housing and stuff. Is that right? And it absolutely intrigued me, the, the, the hotel. It, well, it was sort of faded elegance. I know, I was, I was absolutely intrigued by it. And um, it, it's such a shame that it burnt down in 1971. I'm sure the fact that the owner um, had a planning application to build houses on the site had nothing to do with the fact that it burnt down. But um, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> the Eel Pie Commune ended in total anarchy. People were living under the house, the electricity and gas was cut off, and the residents were tearing up floorboards for heat. While I think that communes and squats like this serves an important purpose, provided home and a sense of belonging for people with nowhere else to go. It's not a housing system that I'm advocating for en masse. But not all of these squats and communes ended in fire. Maybe I've been lucky because like, all my neighbours are really nice and stuff. Or maybe that's just the kind of people that are attracted to this kind of co-op. Some of them became something quite different. 
it works. It, it does work and it just makes you feel much more close to everyone else. Housing co-op, a way for people to live cheaply and contribute to a system of shared responsibility rather than private property. They discuss things like for people who doesn't have houses, like homeless people and some and we need to get some more bedrooms for kids who sleep with their mums. But can it help to create homes for people as we slide deeper into a housing crisis? That's next time on Dwelling. Find us on your favourite streaming platforms, released weekly on Mondays. Follow us on social media at dwelling underscore pod. Powered by Transmission Roundhouse.